I think where you get discussed in uh, in your customers organization is a brilliant indicator of your relevance to that organization and your aim apart from volumes apart from profitability is to actually increase keep increasing the level at which you're being discussed if you can do that i think the relationship will stay healthy and the relationship will move forward Hi, welcome. This is Zia here. My guest today is Ramesh Durairaj, author of the business book Games Customers Play. The focus of the book and our discussion today is around buyer-seller relationships. Ramesh shared great insights and best practices to win more profitable business and deliver a better service. Without further ado, let's get started. Uh, Zia, it's my pleasure and my privilege to be on the podcast. uh you know you're going over what 600 cities in about 50 countries uh, and i've listened to a few of the episodes uh they're absolutely brilliant in terms of content uh in terms of the different insights they've been providing about this you know really frustrating and yet rewarding uh field of sales so it it's absolute pleasure uh, for me to be on the podcast you're too kind uh, thanks thanks for that ramesh so ramesh uh, let's let's get started i mean your uh, book uh, games uh, customers play has been on the amazon's uh, best sellers list and uh, you know before we dig deeper into it you know give us a back story right what how, how did the book come about uh, we would love to know that that's it really interesting this happened while i was working in infosys and uh, as you know customer visits come prospects visit the campus and so we had a, a big bank who is a prospect they came and we showed them the usual stuff you know the gym uh, the swimming pool in fact i still remember telling them you know why don't you step into my office and then i showed them the swimming pool in the campus and then the banyan tree which was growing and uh, you know it had some trouble growing and uh, it was uh, there was some disease and uh, mr pai the, the cfo was taking a personal so we showed them all of that of course apart from the uh, from the working spaces and uh, the technology capabilities and the business capabilities that we have they loved it they were really really happy and we got the business and about 6 months later another bank uh, comes in and so yeah so we want to do this pretty much the same thing and so we show them the place where you know all the world leaders when they come they've come to the infi campus and they've planted trees so we showed them that place and said you know mr blair has planted this and so one of the visitors pipes up saying you know i i really don't care that tony blair planted something here why should i be bothered and the general tone throughout the visit was bad in fact uh, obviously i didn't joke with them and uh, you know uh, he was just saying well, you know i guess we are paying for all this when they saw the facilities and and stuff like that and obviously we didn't get the business the funny thing is both of them come from the same region in fact when i visited our client later uh, you know both the employees of this uh, uh, the employees of both these banks actually go to the same pub 
right? And there's a lot of uh, people moving back and forth between these two companies. So it, that is that was always a puzzle to me as to why two companies in the same industry, pretty much from the same place, uh, which means the same kind of country culture, location culture, linguistic uh, traditions, how was it that they could view us in two completely different ways? And how was it that they were expecting two com uh, you know, completely different kind of vendors to select and partners to select for their IT services? So it's always been a, uh, it was always a thing that uh, worried me. And what you know, more than worry, I would say intrigued me. And then I was reading this book by Dan Goldman called Social Intelligence. I mean, his uh, emotional intelligence book is far more popular, but this was a book he's he's written a little later. And in that he talks about how people view each other either as a you or as an it. In other words, how people view other people as persons or as a means to an end, a commodity or a transaction. And he said, a lot of issues come up when people expect to be treated in one way, expect to be viewed in one way, which is as a you, but then get treated in another way, which is as an it. So that got me thinking as to, okay, so vendors can treat their buyers either as a you or an it, and buyers can treat sellers as a you or an it. And presto, uh, you get this two by two uh, matrix. And that was the you know, beginnings of the book. And so then I explored all relationships and, and uh, I, I go on to, uh, I, I did some research around the anthropological basis, the psychological basis, the sociological basis of relationships, both individual as well as group, and then focused on how companies can position themselves, move around these areas, uh, these four quadrants that I came up with. And that's the whole book. Interesting. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, I do remember uh, uh, many of those client visits, Ramesh, um, you know, especially <laughs> taking some of the folks to the offshore development center. I mean, that's yeah. just fantastic, right? The kind of treatment, the royal treatment, the, the rolling out of, mm. of the, the, the red carpet and all that. So it's, it's, it's a great experience. Like, I get it. Yeah, it's, that's pretty good. So, um, you know, it, talking about... Uh, you know, uh, in the vendor and client relationship, partnership, um, you know, from the time that you have been in the industry, Ramesh, how do you feel that has evolved and where is it currently? Just talk to us about that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I'd like to quote Dan Pink uh, in his book, To Sell is Human, where I think he captures the essence of it. Mm -hmm. uh, he says it's moving. It has moved, actually from a caveat emptor to a caveat venditor uh, stage. Uh, caveat emptor we all used to know, which is buyer beware. And now he says, no, sellers beware. Because information parity means that the buyer knows the same 
or sometimes even more, not just about the product, but pro- probably about your company as well. Uh, and they have done their research. And, uh, you know, for every LinkedIn profile search that you do of a prospect, I'm sure that the prospect, uh, once they learn your name, they come and do a research on you and your company. So information parity has happened. And therefore, uh, the amount of uh, FUD, as they used to call it, you know, fear, uncertainty, doubt, that you can, that some of these used car salesmen people used to kind of do, the premium on that has come out. The ability of doing that uh, has really, really uh, dropped drastically because uh, if there is such a purchase, such a sale done, uh, by bamboozling your customer, after five days when they get buyer's remorse, they go and, and put it out on the net uh, for everyone to see. And the reputational damage that you incur as a seller is far, far more. And therefore, those kind of practices have come down. But interestingly, there's one thing that's gone up, which is, I would say, some form of a collective bargaining. Uh, I talk about this Farmers uh, Association in Canada fertilizers uh, costs were just going through the roof because of uh, a monopolistic situation uh, by the fertilizer manufacturers. Uh, In fact, when they tried to, when the farmers tried to uh, find an alternate channel, uh, that was shut down by these uh, fertilizer manufacturers. And so now the the farmers uh, themselves started building a factory to manufacture those fertilizers. Now, that's one extreme case. But if you really see the level of collaboration, for example, between uh, the CIOs who are purchasing, uh, say, IT services, is, is quite high. Any, any issues, anything, they, they freely exchange information. It's almost like they are a union uh, and they know what prices are there. They know what uh, uh, price discovery is now almost uh, a given. And they understand uh, what uh, we provide. And it's not just IT services. I think most places, this kind of uh, uh, practices happen where buyers, collectives, uh, formal or informal, have shifted the power far more to the buyers than to the sellers. So that's the, that's the big evolution change uh, that I can see in uh, you know, buyer-seller relationships. Uh, obviously, you have the uh, counter to it, which is these big monopolies like uh, Google and Facebook and Amazon, which control uh, a huge uh, portion of certain services. For example, if you have to advertise your services on the net, 80% of that goes to Google and Facebook. You don't have a choice. A search engine optimization and everything and paid license, everything you have to go to Google. You don't have a choice. Some services, some service providers have been able to also corner uh, uh, almost a monopolistic share of the market by delivering extremely personalized services. So that's the flip side of the argument. Uh, But in both the cases, the interesting thing is that information availability and the ability to use that information and data in a clever way has really disrupted relationships, buyer-seller relationships 
in a very very significant way so uh, ramesh all all really valid points right Th- thanks for sharing that and uh, you know in your book you you talk about a new model you say that we need a new model now right why and you know how is it different from what we had or what what what's your uh, advice or proposal out here what what model do we need if you really look at it for example it services that you and i both belong to uh, we have these uh, large customers you know we categorize them as a b and c customers but primarily we do it on volumes so you got this huge customers greater than say uh, you know 100 million sure. then somebody less than 50 million so some of we tend to classify it on the kind of volume of business they give and probably a little bit of the profitability uh, measure thrown in as well uh, when it comes to prioritizing your services and your strategies now what i keep saying is that that that's important you you obviously have to give your attention to guys who are giving you uh, the greater business but you also have to give attention based on the power imbalance or the power balance you have with customers so l- let me explain it a little bit more you know how can you for instance invest a lot more in customers who view you as a thought leader in that space as opposed to somebody who just executes their order wouldn't that be better yep. so if a customer come and should you not be focusing more on that i agree that main you know a customer who views you as a thought leader may not be giving you even say 10% of the business that somebody who views you as one transactional commoditized service provider gives you i agree that volumes are important they give you the sustenance uh, for your business to be an ongoing concern but in terms of the capabilities that you want to develop these type of customers who view you as a thought leader who view you as a coach uh, who view you as a trusted advisor those are businesses that you need to nurture far more Uh, unfortunately most management retention just focuses on volumes instead of the quality unless you know in the rare circumstance that you know there is a new service offering that's come up and you need a little bit of thought leadership in that to establish your base then some management retention goes there but why can't it be an ongoing practice so that's the uh, uh, that's the difference in model and, and and if you really look at it uh let me give you a simple example uh, uh you have a a bank with which you have a relationship and usually if you're you know a little more wealthy you get what you call as a private wealth management uh, executive or relationship manager to for you but you don't expect them to come and give you cash whenever you wanted cash right you go to an atm and do it it's far simpler to do it so both services are needed both kind of engagement models are needed and that's why i say that you know look at your service design based on relationship based on the power imbalance in your relationship or the power balance in your relationship and how the customer views you and design the services accordingly and also design your relationship rituals accordingly for instance uh, you know for a customer who is just a, a low volume customer 
and who just and I'm still in the example of the bank who just has a little bit of savings account with you and uses the ATM card some six times and uses the debit card about 20 times in a month. There is no point in keeping and calling him and saying, uh, do you want any more services? There's no point in having a quarterly review with that person. Whereas a private wealth manager who who has his broking account with you, who has uh, who does a lot of investments and, and trades with you, and wants some, you know, a family office kind of a facility and do do their estate planning and tax planning and everything, uh, you would give them a much different service uh, design. And there's no point in giving those kind of services to this low volume player who is just coming using your ATM five, six times. So unfortunately, what I see is this just based on volumes doing your relationship rituals and not just and not based on what the customer views you as that is the model change that i keep talking about and that's what i've written uh, probably not very articulately in the book <laughs> so that's that, that's pretty cool and uh... So just another point to that, Ramesh, right? What, what I have seen is uh, the uh, the culture plays a very important role uh, in in, um, uh, in 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 this when, uh, partnership itself, right? Now, for example, going back yeah. to your example uh, in the beginning, where two uh, different banks visited and they both had a different approach, it was an organizational culture thing, right? So in this new yeah. model, um, where do you think or how do you think that that will play a factor in their working well today, uh, together, I mean, right? Yeah. So, you know, uh, one of the things about culture is that it's both overrated and underrated or underemphasized at the same time. In the sense, uh, uh, for me, culture is both about mindset, which is about intent, and execution, right? It reflects in these two things. Uh, in the, in the, that's the manifestation of culture, how people think about what they do and how people actually deliver on what they're supposed to deliver. And keeping with this example of the bank itself, if you get somebody who is, who is being promoted because he's done a good job elsewhere, but who only managed a bunch of, say, uh, a call center executives calling up for uh, uh, for buying, say, for selling uh, credit card services or personal loan services, and he did very well in that. And so suddenly you make him a, a private wealth management uh, guy. What happens then? He'll be a misfit unless there is a lot of retraining and a lot of readjustment and realignment of that person. Uh, just giving him them a bunch of different goals is not going to uh, and objectives uh, is not going to significantly alter their behavior or at least alter their mindset and the way they execute stuff. So, and culture plays a lot in influencing these things. So, you need culture that that combines the ability to service your range of customers and your range of relationships which can fall in any one of the quadrants I talk about. Uh, it could be a transactional relationship where, you know, as I said, they just come in for the ATM service and go. 
or it could be a personal relationship where they come and give you expose their entire financials to you and say please do a better tax planning for me so based on such the kind of services that you want to provide the kind of relationship the kind of mindset you need to have is different and therefore the kind of culture that you need to nurture in those organization uh, becomes different does that make sense yeah got it got it no appreciate uh, th- thanks for sharing that uh, ramesh so the kind of yeah so the kind of people that you have to nurture the kind of behavior that you have to nurture is different uh, for example a person you know if you're just doing the growth of customers of uh, who do your atms that person will be talking uh, will be thinking most about efficiency whereas the uh, a person who is uh, doing your tax planning and estate planning he would be looking more at uh, reputations and relationships and effectiveness as so that's the difference uh, that i'm talking about and that obviously culture plays a large part in in imbibing that sort of behavior so going back to your earlier example those two customers visiting the campus one was visiting for that private white label service the other one was just yeah. coming in for the atm service i guess right absolutely absolutely and uh, you know so one of the important learnings was that so uh, from the next time when we were getting customers we used to ask sales folks uh, you know what do they want or what are they looking for particularly from this kind of thing are they looking for some high end services or are they looking to just offshore for costs and so if they were offshoring for costs uh, our campus visit used to be different okay and yeah. the conversation we will have with them will be different we'll be emphasizing you know the kind of cost per employee uh, and maintenance per square foot and things like that to showcase our cost leadership uh, you know rather than show them the conference room with all those nice facilities uh, the main uh, conference room in infosys if you remember and all those nice facilities we we didn't emphasize those so the the uh, the treatment itself used to be different in terms of what we showcased and that was one of the learnings that we had uh, from these two experiences that's that's a very good point so um in your opinion uh, you know you you are doing well with your customer you have an existing partnership with a with a client uh but in many cases they still move on right they they yeah. they look for um other relationships they move on from current relation not every time though but many times they do what what do you think why what are the top 3 reasons for that okay uh, so uh, obviously the first one is that you've screwed up somewhere yeah you know in a relay in a in a in a delivery in a service uh, which has caused them serious harm something really impactful and useful. something really bad in terms of you know getting their cio fired or getting their project manager into all sorts of trouble so that is obviously or even consequential damage and reputation damage uh, that can happen so that that's the obvious one then there even the board will come and say why are you continuing with this guy you have to change so the, so let's leave that so that's number one and the thing the second thing is what i've seen is when there is a lot of choice available in the market and the cost of shifting away from you is minimal uh, let me explain that customers are looking for an optimum balance between cost and ease of buying using and 
if something goes wrong, fixing anything they buy from you. Now, in, in these three cases, if the cost goes up significantly or there is an alternative which is far cheaper for the same ease of buying, using and fixing, they'll move. And that's, that's what we call as disruption or what uh, Uber did to taxi drivers, uh, what uh, Netflix did to Blockbuster uh, and what uh, iPhone did to Kodak. It's, it's basically ease uh, and obviously the costs after some time. The more interesting one is that because you have changed, you have grown as a seller, your, your focus, your uh, service capabilities have grown. Uh, and I'll give examples because I've had a ringside view to three of the large four uh, service companies that I worked in, uh, which grew from, say, very little to at least six or seven times their size as, as I was working with them. So some of the customers we had uh, where, you know, we were just giving some people for uh, a little while. So what happens is the amount of attention you need to give them remains constant, but their share of revenue in your whole pie has shrunk rapidly because of your rapid growth. So your ability to have this cross-scale delivery capability is not very high. I mean, if you're used to servicing very large customers, it becomes very difficult for you to service a small customer. First of all, getting a good service executive uh, to cater to these smaller customers becomes difficult because they will all, because for their own career growth, want to uh, focus on their larger customers so that they have bragging rights on their CVs saying, I've, uh, I've done this large delivery somewhere. Uh, so that in itself becomes uh, a, a way in which customers start saying, you have grown too big for me. Am I still relevant to you? So that's one of the reasons why customers leave. And some of this is a natural function. I mean, I don't think you have to beat yourself up for that. Uh, I think uh, what you need to be worried about is, am I retaining the customers, uh, again, based on these two things, uh, whether there's power balance between us and how they view us and the volumes that they give you. So these are the two things. Uh, that, that's how I view why customers move uh, away from you. So yeah, I mean, these scenarios and everything everywhere, uh, every other scenario that is affecting the uh the worsening of the relationship, right? If you may, what, yeah. what, what advice do you have to existing partners, vendors to avoid uh, customers moving away yeah. from them? And, and how do you, not only moving away, but how do you kind of move the relationship to the next level? So any yeah. advice there would be great. Obvious uh, answer to that. And the most obvious one is that, uh, are you delivering value to customer? So, that's the that's the question that you have to constantly keep asking yourself. And can you maintain that status quo with ease? Not for you, but for the customer. Is it easy for the customer to maintain their status quo with you? So, and that's somehow the foundational bit uh, for continuing relationships. That there needs to be some base volume, uh, base level connections and dependencies between you 
to make sure that uh, you know the relationship moves forward however remember that any any relationship can get disrupted by an upstart or a startup so and you were talking about how to move uh, beyond and keep uh, evolving the relationship what i would say is can you move from being a mere order taker to can you move your relationship to where you become a trusted advisor can it be a more personal relationship with both of you view each other as yous and not as its which is that both of at least the, the customer starts viewing you more as not just a transaction provider not a commoditized provider but as a thought leader uh, but as somebody who has intimate understanding of their business and have become extremely intertwined with how their business uh, becomes important and there's a very simple test case for this where are you being discussed at which level are you as a service provider being discussed uh, in customers internal meetings are you being discussed at say the uh, monthly uh, service review level or are you being discussed at the quarterly strategic planning level of a business unit or the annual strategy meet of the organization itself or are you being discussed at the board level on a on a fairly regular basis and not for uh, negative reasons but for positive reasons i think where you get discussed in uh, in your customers organization is a brilliant indicator of your relevance to that organization and your aim apart from volumes apart from profitability is to actually increase keep increasing the level at which you're being discussed if you can do that i think the relationship will stay healthy and the relationship will move forward so um so ramesh you uh, you know thanks for sharing some great insights and uh, advice um you know tell us more about you know outside of the uh, you know writing books and uh, you know uh, you know giving out such great uh, podcast episodes uh, i i know you you are also um, you know advise companies and business leaders and sales leaders. so t- tell us more about what do you do and what kind of companies and individuals do you work with uh, and if someone is interested what is the best way to reach out okay so uh, you know to, to distill my services what i really do is help uh, companies sell better uh, throughout the sales chain uh, right from the first encounter that you have with a prospect down to writing the proposal and and you know negotiations so that entire chain uh, i help companies improve and uh, uh, i've been fortunate that some of my employers previous ex employers are my client so so that's that's the good thing about it and uh, what i how i can be reached linkedin is the best ramesh doreraj uh, and author so that will give you there's another ramesh doreraj on linkedin he is far more better looking uh, and younger so that's that's one way of distinguishing us 
So uh, please reach out to me on <laughs> please reach out <laughs> to me on LinkedIn. Uh, and the kind of clients I've had are varied. I mean, uh, I've worked with extremely small startups, uh, but I've also worked with very large uh, companies. Uh, and my website has a few of the clients who have. Uh, who have been good enough to say that you can use our names uh, on the website. So Wipro is one of the clients. Mindtree is one uh, one of them. And so is Happiest Minds. So a lot of the clients are out there that I've been able to help. That's very nice. Thanks for that, Ramesh. And I will also include links to your uh, website, the LinkedIn profile, and also a place where people can buy the book. Uh, but this this has been great, uh, Ramesh. Thanks again for taking the opportunity to uh, you know uh, to come on to the pod uh, and appreciate the uh, greatly appreciate the advice and insights. Uh, thank you for that, Zia. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and I do realize that it's uh, well past the midnight hour where you are, and it's this miracle of Zoom technologies that are helping us uh, do this. Uh, and so a shout out to uh, Velu, who is uh, who is a pretty big kahuna in uh, Zoom, and he is my classmate, by the way. So, oh, nice. <laughs> so, so it's thanks to products like those developed by brilliant minds like those that we're able to do this. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please do subscribe to the podcast and I will greatly appreciate if you can leave a review. If you have any suggestions for future guests or any feedback, please write to me at zia at sellingtoenterprises.com. See you on the next episode. Thank you.